Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. I'd like to give you a very big welcome, uh, especially if you're a visitor. Great to have you with us. Good to see a few visitors with us this morning. Hope you feel very welcome. Do stay around afterwards to chat. Lovely to get to know you if we don't already. Uh, welcome to those of you on live stream as well. Uh, this morning, uh, we're in the last chapter of Nehemiah. So as a church, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. We've got to the last chapter. And the title for this morning is, And They All Lived dot, 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 question mark, question mark, question mark. So, uh, John, our pastor, will be speaking a bit later in our service about that. If you haven't been here, uh, for the earlier bits of Nehemiah, don't worry, hopefully you'll be able to take away something from uh, today as well as John explains it to us. Just a a few notices uh, to get out of the way at the beginning. Uh, For those of you who are members here, uh, we've got a quarterly church meeting this Tuesday. So this Tuesday is a quarterly church meeting. For those of you in home groups, uh, they are this Thursday. So home groups on Thursday. Uh, also, there's a YP holiday prayer letter in the foyer. So it looks like this. Um, there's a few out there. If they all go, it would be great if they did. We can print out more. Uh, but do take one of those. Please do pray for the YP holiday. Just two weeks today, God willing, we'll be up near sunny Worcester, hopefully. And um, So do, do pray for us. We'd really appreciate um, that. Also, Corey Hitchcock, Leah Swanson and Becky Sharp uh, have got quite interesting years coming up next year. And so they're going to be interviewed this evening as part of the service so we find out a bit of what they're up to and so that we can pray for them as well. Uh, So that's part of this evening's service and interview with them. So we look forward to that. And then just lastly, uh, just been handed this Forest Fold Women's Retreat. So uh, the women who are regularly here, there's an envelope for you. uh, So please do take that and it's got all the details for you. Um, and if you're not, feel free to ask one of these and I'm sure we can find one for you. So that's the Forest Bowl Women's Retreat on Saturday, 14th to the 10th, 2023. Well, maybe you've had a, a busy morning and you've been rushing about doing all sorts of things and your mind feels a bit frazzled already. Or maybe it's kind of the opposite. We haven't done anything this morning but maybe you haven't really settled, thought about what we're doing this morning. And so I think it might help us just to have 30 seconds or so, just of quiet, an opportunity just to pray or think and be quiet and prepare ourselves for our church service. So let's have a few seconds of quiet. Well, in Psalm 35, people are wanting to kill David. feels like he's got many enemies against him. And yet he says this in the middle of the psalm, I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Well, our first song encourages us to do that. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heavenly realms in blessings on us poured. So let's stand and sing.
we're going to read now uh, the passage that John's going to speak to us later from Nehemiah 13. So in the Church Bibles it's page 408, it'll be up on the screen as well. So page 408, Nehemiah chapter 13, and we're going to be starting at verse 4 and reading to the end of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 13, starting at verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king, and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe and Pediah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to the brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds which I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates, that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favour, O oh my God, 
and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them swear in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women even, uh, made even him to sin. Should we then listen to you and do all this great evil, and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God for good maybe as I've been reading that you've got some questions well hopefully John as he explains it will help us understand what's going on in that in that chapter well in a moment we're going to sing again uh, but this next song hasn't been uh, chosen by John or myself Uh, it's been chosen by a couple that are very special to all of us who know them Steve and Betty had their diamond a wedding anniversary this week. And uh, so many of us have been blessed by their love, their generosity, their kindness, their wisdom, and especially their prayer. And uh, we're so thankful for them. But they want us to point our thankfulness back to God as the source of all good things and gifts. So we're going to sing a song now, as I say, that they've chosen that reminds us to thank God for all his blessings So when the music starts, let's stand and thank God for his goodness.
Any children? Come down. It's your child. So, this week, I did something really annoying for me. I missed a train, okay? I was up in London, so kind of far away, and I was on my way home, and I got to the, the platform, ready to get on the train. I thought, this is very close. I'm cutting it close, but it was too close, and the train just went, and I saw it go. I was so annoyed. And do you know how long I had to wait for the next train? How long do you think you've got to wait for the next train you're on the Cobra line. Go on. An hour. It is an hour. I've got to wait an hour for the next train. <gasps> an hour. I was really annoyed. What Now, what do you think I did with that hour? I had a whole hour on my hands that I wasn't expecting to have. What do you think that I did with that hour? Go on. What do you think? Got a coffee. That would have been a really good idea. Got a coffee. Cheer myself up. Any other things? Or what could I have done with that whole hour? Yeah, I could have gone and got some food. Maybe I was hungry. Maybe I needed to top up my energy a little bit. Any other good things or any other sorts of things I could do with that hour? I could have called people at home and tell them I'm late. That's a good idea. Keep them informed. I could have even just called someone for a chat. I could have called up someone in the family and said, Hi, how's everything going? Yeah, how are you? I'm waiting for the train. I could have done something like that. I had a whole hour. But do you know what I actually did? I did absolutely nothing. I was feeling so grumpy that I'd missed the train that I just sat down and I sort of stared at, the, stared at the trains coming in and out, wishing it was one of my trains. Honestly, I did absolutely nothing. I completely wasted that hour. I even, this is the terrible thing, in my rucksack I had this Christian book that I'm meaning to read and I had a whole hour. I could have read like three chapters or something and I didn't even read the book. Very, very silly. And it reminded me of a Bible verse which hopefully... It's going to appear on the screen. Aha! So there's a Bible verse here. It says, Look carefully how you walk. So it's saying, Be careful how you live, what you do. Not as unwise as wise. So don't be like people who aren't wise that are, that are living in a silly way, like I was. But be wise. And then it says, Making the best use of the time. So this is saying that God, you know, God is saying that there's not very much time. So use that time you've got for God. Make the best use of it. And I look at that hour that I had earlier this week and I just think, I did not make the best use of it. I could, have, I could have prayed, I could have read my Christian book, I could have read the Bible, there's all sorts of good things I could do. And I just wasted it. And, and that got me thinking about you guys. I mean, you, you've got spare time on your hands sometimes, don't you? And summer holidays is coming up soon, isn't it? So you're maybe going to have a bit more time. I wonder how you're going to use that time. I wonder if some of that time will be wasted, like I wasted my time, or I wonder if you could use it to do good things for God. What what things do you think you might be able to do that would be a bit better than the way I spent my time? Maybe good things that you could do for God with time this summer. You could read the Bible. That is always a tick. Any question up here, read the Bible. That is definitely a tick. Yeah? You could help someone, yeah. It doesn't just have to be praying, reading the Bible. You could go and do something good. You could help your parents. You could help a brother or sister or one of your friends. Praying. Absolutely, that's another tick. Any question, praying is very good. You could go and play with someone. Maybe someone that's not got somebody to play with. Um, 
there's lots of good Christian books that you guys could read, maybe read with a little bit of help. If you, if you don't know how you could use your time well for God this summer, maybe you could go and chat to mum or dad and see if they've got some ideas for you. I bet they would help you. Okay? Well, I hope you guys won't waste your time this summer like I've been wasting my time. And don't worry, I am resolving to finish that book. I even read a little bit last night. Okay? But let me pray for us because this is a hard thing to do. Let me pray that we won't waste our time. Okay? Lord God, we thank you that you give us all of the time that we have. Lord, we're sorry that sometimes you you give us that time, but we just waste it. We thank you that if we trust Jesus, that that you forgive us for all of the ways that we fail, including the way that we waste the, the precious time that you give us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to use the time you give us to make the best use of it and to use it for you in a good way. Amen. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Well done. You can go back to your seats. Lord God, we do pray for those children. Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, we pray that they'd have a real heart to use their time for you. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are adults as well, Lord, as Josh has just said, Lord, many of us find it so easy to waste time. And Lord, there are many of us here who are very, very busy. There are some with parental responsibilities, some with work commitments. Lord, many, many stresses in life and our time can just seem to go. And yet, Lord, sometimes we can use that as an excuse not to spend time with you, not to use our time well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to prioritise the best things to prioritise a relationship with you, knowing you better. Lord, that we have put those in our diary, as it were, as the very first thing we do, that other things then fit around. Lord, forgive us for when we don't use our time wisely. Lord, help us to have such a love and passion for you that we are only too eager to spend time with you or to help others, to have the heart of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of praying this morning. I pray that we would see it as that. Lord, I pray that we'd have a right perspective as well as we pray. Lord, that you'd give us a sense of who you are and who we are. Lord, that we would have that right humility that we need. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a sense of reverence as we pray before you this morning. Lord, a reverence that understands your awesome power and your holiness and yet is also filled with joy at what you've done for us. Lord, help us to come in the right spirit before you. Lord, help us to realise that you are at the centre and not us. Lord, forgive us for when we get that the wrong way around. Lord, I pray that we would come with a sense of worship to you this morning. Lord, help us if we are not feeling that this morning, I pray. Lord, we do come with thanks for Steve and Bessie as we've mentioned them already. Lord, we thank you so much for them, for their wonderful example to so many of us. Lord, for the fact you've given them to us as a church for so many, many years. Lord, thank you. Thank you for their love and their generosity. Lord, thank you that you have shown yourself to many of us through them. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to be with them and to bless them and to uphold them. Lord, that they would know your very special presence with them. Lord, especially as they're feeling more frail, Lord, do be with them. Help them 
I pray. Bless them. And may they continue to be a blessing to others. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done for them, especially in their married life, for so many, many years. And we celebrate with them. And Lord, we thank you as well for the wedding yesterday. Lord, for the start of a a married life. Lord, we pray that you bless Ben and Lauren. Lord, we thank you for answered prayers for a special day. Lord, bless them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your love would be the source of their love for others and for each other. Lord, that people may sense and know and experience a special love in their relationship. And people say that can only come from God. Lord, do bless them. Help them. Help them to love each other. Lord, I pray. And Lord, as we see uh, the love that the bridegroom has for his bride, Lord, it makes us think of how you love the church. Lord, it talks about Jesus being the bridegroom, loving the church, your bride. And Lord, when we truly understand that, Lord, it blows our minds. And Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of your love for us, despite us being incredibly unworthy. Lord, we pray for some of the things coming up uh, for this church as well, some of the activities. Lord, we think of the Lighthouse planning meeting coming up tomorrow. Lord, as they plan for Lighthouse activities in the summer. Lord, I pray that you've blessed them and guide them, help them to know how best to, uh, to do it. Lord, give them wisdom in that meeting. Lord, we do want to be a lighthouse in this town. Lord, we want to be a light to the nations. Lord, we know that as a church, Lord, we just can't reach the whole world. We haven't got that sort of power, but Lord, we can reach those around us. Lord, we can reach those in our town. Lord, these are the people that you've given to us. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be a light. Lord, that we would show you, we would speak of you, so that as uh, people go down to that work, Lord, that people would not just hear about you, but it's as if they see you down there. So, Lord, do bless them in that work, I pray. Lord, we pray for the YP holiday coming up as well, just a couple of weeks' time. Lord, pray that you'd be with us as leaders as we uh, finalise planning. Lord, we thank you for where we've got to so far, but Lord, still many things to do. Lord, help us. Lord, I pray that you'd keep us close to you, help us to be good examples of you. Lord, do help us to plan well, to put our heart into it, as well as our minds. And Lord, we pray for the YPs coming. Lord, we pray for any who are anxious or worried, that you'd give them a special sense of peace, and that you'd help them to trust in you. And Lord, I pray that it be a wonderful week. Lord, we, we look back at past years and we just see how time and time again you've answered so many prayers and we thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that rather than think, well, we can just do it again this year, we've got this now. Lord, I pray that instead, even more, we would see our need of you and that we would pray more because we know you answer prayers. Lord, give us a sense of our need of you and our dependence on you. And Lord, we just pray that you'd work. Lord, we pray that you would give a life to those who need it. And Lord, to those who are Christians already, Lord, we pray that you've blessed them, strengthened them, grow them. Lord, in Christ we pray. And Lord, we just thank you as well for this book of Nehemiah that we're going through. Lord, we thank you for uh, giving it to us, this historical account. Lord, I thank you for the, the lessons, the encouragements, but also the big challenges that we've been faced with. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through this last chapter. Help John as he explains it to us. Thank you for helping him in his prep. Lord, I pray that you'd help him now as he speaks. Lord, that it would come alive to us and that we'd be challenged and encouraged 
as we need to be by your word. Thank you that your word is alive and powerful for us in 2023. So Lord, do speak to us this morning. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song now before John comes up to speak to us uh, that fits in with the theme. Uh, As John speaks more and more, we'll see why this fits in so well. We have sung our songs of victory. We have prayed to you for rain. And then I'll just read uh, the last verse. But I know a day is coming when the deaf will hear his voice, when the blind will see their saviour and the lame will leap for joy, when the widow finds a husband who will always love his bride and the orphan finds a father who will never leave her side. Let's stand and sing.
So fill in the blanks, complete the dotted lines of our title. And they all lived... Has it finished? Yeah, a bit louder from someone. Happily ever after. That's how it goes. And they all lived happily ever after. That's how it normally ends. And that's how often the children's stories used to end. I guess it's changed a bit these days, but they used to end. And they all lived happily ever after. And we like that in the stories that we uh, read or the things that we watch. Often the, the, the film ends with uh, wedding bells or the couple walking off into the sunset or the, the friends laughing on the beach as the camera angle zooms out. In fact, uh, yesterday evening, after I've been sort of preparing this this week and already done my introduction, and uh, then I, I watched the, the latter part of a period drama, and how did it end? A couple walking off into the, well, the sunset, the sunrise, actually, of a well-known period drama. Well, that's what we might want for the book of Nehemiah, as we come to the end of Nehemiah. It's been a, a great book. There's been a, a tremendous wall-building Project. There's been a time of renewal. There's been dedication. And uh, now we, we want onwards and upwards, don't we? We want a, a new plateau in going forward in the history of God's people. And as we come to the end of the book of Nehemiah, what do we find? What do we find? And they all lived happily ever after. Most of uh, Nehemiah 13 is uh, significantly later than the rest of the book. Uh, over 12 years later. You can see that from verses 6 to 7. You'll find it handy to have it open if you can this morning. While this was taking place, Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem from the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. So that's 12 years after he'd originally come. I went to the king and after some time I asked leave of the king and I came to Jerusalem. So more than 12, 12 to 12 years he goes back and then he's coming back again. So some time has elapsed and he is returning. This is, if you like, the second coming of Nehemiah. And what will he find? What will he find? It's disappointing. Discouraging. It's frustrating. After all the progress of the previous chapters, Nehemiah 12 would have been a nice place to sort of chop the text. That would have been a good place to finish. But Nehemiah 13 is not. Instead, we get really the sort of eye opening reality of life in this book, which is near the end of Old Testament history, we find it disappointing and discouraging. And we're going to see some of the teaching of this. I'm going to do it under four headings this morning. I'm going to spend longer in the first because it will set the groundwork really for the others. I think we'll find some real lessons here and I think we'll see as well where it leads us on to. I've been praying for Guidance that the Lord would help me to steer you rightly, accurately through what's here, but connecting it as well 
to our lives. And we start off with, with problems. With problems. Nehemiah comes back to some, some major disheartening problems. Actually, you can, you can hardly believe what the situation is. See, it's in three key areas. One is to do with worship. God's house, the temple, God's house as it's called in the Old Testament, was to be a place of worship, it was a place of teaching, it encouraged focus on God in the life of the community. They had magnificently said at some stage, just a couple of chapters before, we will not neglect the house of God. And when Nehemiah comes back, uh, what, what does he find? It's been neglected. Do you remember Tobiah, if you've tracked through some of the early chapters of Nehemiah, what a pain and a menace this man was. The enemy of God, what's he up to now? Well, he's only been given an apartment in the temple complex. He's using the temple as a base for his operations. And what's more, what's been turfed out so that they could make room for him. A lot of ministry resources have been turfed out of the temple to make room for this Tobiah, one of the enemies of God. See this in verse 5. Had prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of grain, wine and oil. And the temple problems don't just end with Tobiah being on the scene with his influence and menace and undermining of God's work. The temple staff weren't being paid. So they had to leave their temple work to go back to the fields to farm in order to get the income that they need. Verse 10, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. Problems with worship, the life of the temple as Nehemiah comes back. There were problems with work, or especially with the Sabbath pattern. God's people had been given a wonderful gift It was the Sabbath. It was a day's rest from the the hustle and bustle, from business activity and from trading. It was a day to be refreshed and to focus on God. And what does Nehemiah find as he comes back? Grapes are being processed for wine production. bringing in burdens and supplies on the Sabbath day. Selling produce. A Mediterranean fish market that was flourishing. Verses 15 and 16. In those days I saw in Judah people treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on this day when they sold food, 
Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath day to the people of Judah. And he adds in astonishment, in Jerusalem itself. Problems with work, or the work-rest balance, seeing work as under God. And then a third area of problems was in relationships. All of these had been given special attention before in the book of Nehemiah. These were some of the areas that actually signed up to and dedicated, resolved themselves to be keeping. And the same is true with this one. And Nehemiah comes back and he finds them intermarrying. Now this isn't about race, it's not about colour, it's not about ethnicity, it's about faith. They were marrying people who did not have the same faith as them. And it was affecting the next generation, verses 23 and 24. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah but only the language of each people. So how heartrending for Nehemiah as he comes back. And this has some help for us, you know, in Christian service. Christian service and Christian progress is not just an upward graph. There are disappointments. There are failings. There are times where we feel back to square one. There are times where we feel back behind square one. Despite our efforts, despite our hopes, despite our initiatives. Who would have found that? Or you soon will if you're involved with Christian service or ministry. You invested a, a lot of time in a person and they seem uninterested. The ministry you set up seems to be floundering. I was speaking yesterday to a a, a couple that were involved with a a church plant uh, for a number of years and it it ended up not taking off. They they learnt lessons on the way, they they saw it as God's will, there was uh, things that God was using in his overall sovereignty, but there was discouragement. We hear success stories and uh, we, we, we hear of the encouraging things, but there are also uh, great difficulties in the life of Christian service. There's a new initiative which you want to get going, a new outlook which you want to infiltrate in the church and you do your best to get it across, but then you find out that it seems to have fallen flat and nobody has really bought the idea, even though it's a good one and a biblical one. There are disappointments and we will look at a psalm tonight that will perhaps speak into some of that sort of situation. Problems. And it can be like that in our lives. Our old failings can bounce back with vengeance and cause damage and dishonour to the Lord. Life has its disappointments. I remember speaking to a, a local vicar here and uh, he said with his 
with his children when the stories ended, the children's story, and they all lived happily ever after. He would never read it. He would uh, put in his own word and he'd say, and they, they all lived with the ups and downs that life brings and worked through it with trust in God for the rest of their life. I thought that was quite wise. Well, there were some specifics, problems, and uh, we live in in New Testament times. Um, The specifics are are different in some ways, but it's worth just thinking about them before we move on. The temple nowadays is, is now replaced by a living church of people. That been neglected? It's in a poor state. Our relationship with the church, a poor state. Things have been let slip. The priority is low. The Sabbath in the New Testament moves to Sunday and it becomes the Lord's Day. The emphasis moves away from pernickety rule-keeping. But it's still a one in seven rest from work to focus on God, to enjoy his refreshment. Are we blurring the one in seven? Is unnecessary work and trading creeping in on the day to deprive us and others of blessing? the area of relationships, who we have our closest relationships to and especially marry, is still a significant issue for our spiritual health. The New Testament says we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, that we should marry in the Lord. And if you're a believer, the person you choose to share your life with and your bed with is someone you should share a genuine Christian faith with. Solomon, even Solomon, floundered according to this passage when he ignored that advice, and many have done since. So Nehemiah comes back to problems. It wasn't, and they all lived happily ever after in Jerusalem. And we move on then to putting it right. That comes across in this chapter if you read it. Putting it right. Nehemiah reacts. He, he responds. He doesn't take the situation sitting down. And he responds with, with passion and authority. You might wonder whether it's too much passion and authority. As you read this chapter, you might wonder, is, is Nehemiah losing it? Is, is this man going crazy? Is he going over the top or or is he spot on? Is he addressing the situation as it requires? Perhaps if you've read this chapter this week, you may have been thinking along those lines. It's taken up quite a bit of my week to be thinking, you know, how should we understand what Nehemiah does? Is he a godly man or is he a grumpy man? Well, with the worship, Tobiah has his furniture thrown out of the temple. Imagine seeing it outside, piling up his desk and his chairs and different things. 
Tobiah comes back and, you know, he's been evicted from his place in the temple. Verse 8, And I was very angry and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. He was not going to allow God's enemy any space in God's temple. And Nehemiah appeals then for the temple donations to be resumed and he appoints responsible people to to sort of channel the funds to make sure that the Levites can come back and serve so that temple service is restored. Verse 12, Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine and oil into the storehouses. So he does what he can to put right the worship in the temple. The Sabbath, the work area, he confronts those who are ignoring the Sabbath. Verse 17, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? And he makes sure the city gates are shut well before the start of the Sabbath so that the traders can't come in. And he warns those who are waiting outside and it's strong stuff but it seems to work. Verse 21, But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Passionate man, isn't he, Nehemiah? And in the area of relationships or marriage, find this especially startling. Did you balk at this when we read through? If you didn't, you weren't concentrating when we got to verse 25. What do you make of verse 25? And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out the hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. Well, yes, the beating would be perhaps some civil discipline action, uh, an act of sort of justice. And the pulling out of hair was probably uh, probably the beard and it was a mark of shame in the, that culture to be ashamed when they, they didn't have the beard. But even so, it is uh, hardly the way you'd expect a, a New Testament pastor to behave. You, you would think that uniformed officers would soon be knocking at the door of the church house if a, a pastor or an elder acted in that way. The Bible doesn't specifically approve of Nehemiah's actions and, and it may have been excessive in its desperation. We'll come on to that. Uh, Nehemiah's role is a bit unique and it is the Old Testament culture and practices which was different. In the New Testament, the the leaders, those with responsibility, are, are, yes, to be courageous, yes, to have strong convictions, but they're to be gentle in manner. So it may be helpful just to read 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 25, where Timothy is told this, 
and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. But whilst Nehemiah is not directly commended in his actions, neither is he condemned in the passage. And within the, the culture and the practice of the times, aren't we to respect this man's passion for God's honour? For the how he wants God's people to be doing well, he wants them to be healthy. And he stands in contrast to a sort of wishy-washy, careless reaction to what's true and important in people's lives. I was, uh, heard an Anglican minister about ten, day, uh, 10 days ago and he was quoting a previous Church of England bishop, maybe you've heard of him, J.C. Ryle. And uh, he was comparing many in the church of his day to jellyfish. Well, that's quite topical, isn't it, at the minute, with our sort of plagues of jellyfish around the southern coast, it seems. No backbone, no muscles, going wherever the current takes them, and yet still able to sting when you approach them. Well, we're not to be jellyfish Christians and jellyfish ministers. We are to have conviction over truth and concern for God's honour. There should be a concern for putting things right in our own lives. Jesus says, if your eye offends you, cut it out. Picture language, but graphic. Cut it out and throw it from you. If your right hand offends you, cut it off, chuck it away. There should be a putting right in our lives. There should be a desire for things to be put right in the lives of others. James says, if you, if you um, restore somebody from wandering from the truth, you, you're a great blessing to him. It's in James chapter 5. It's the way he ends his letter. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, whilst we might not be copying Nehemiah's methods, I hope, we have some sympathy for a man who is deeply concerned for God's honour, holiness, purity, worship in his life and in the life of others. So, is there a putting right spirit in us for our lives, for those around because we have a deep concern for the honour of God. Our sympathy, or my sympathy, probably yours, for Nehemiah extends more as we come into our third section, which is prayers. I don't know if you noticed as we went through how each of the little episodes finishes. Was it finished with? Verse 14, after the temple issue, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for this house of my God and for his service. He ends, after trying to put right the worship issues, 
with prayer. You, you, you eavesdrop on what he's saying in his heart. Those who were here yesterday, you, you put the stethoscope on and you hear what is going on in his heart and it's this sort of prayer at the end of the temple clearing issue. And after the Sabbath issue he deals with, verse 22, second half, Remember this also in my favour, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. And after the, the marriage issue, which he's been seeking to address, verse 29, Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And then in summary, at the very last, uh, very last line of the book of Nehemiah, remember me, O oh my God, for good. It's prayers interspersed at the end of each of these episodes of the problems and seeking to put them right. You know, these have meant quite a lot to me at times in, in the past, and maybe they do or will do to you. There are times, aren't there, when you're aiming to do what God wants, what is God's will, which is right in God's sight, according to his word, and you're aiming to do it with a a good heart, but it's uh, against the grain. And it's misunderstood. It's criticised. And you don't get encouragement. And maybe sometimes you even feel you're fighting a a solo battle in certain situations. And I've found, in times like this, Nehemiah's prayers just so helpful. Lord, people don't seem to understand what's going on here, but at least you do. I'm not getting very much encouragement from those around me, but Lord, you know I'm just trying to do what your word says and to do it honestly and rightly. Lord, at school and in the office, they think I'm odd and weird, but I'm only holding fast to your truth. Lord, I'm exhausted and I'm spent and I'm worn out in service. I haven't been as successful as I was hoping to be and wanted to be. But Lord, you know, you've seen it all. You remember me, Lord. It's before you. It's as though that, although we might be discouraged sometimes, thankfully we've got lots of encouragement, but sometimes we can feel discouraged sort of horizontally. There's a strong bond vertically. Lord, you know, and it's before you, and I'm seeking your will. And he just expresses that in his prayer after each event as he seeks to do God's will. Uh, And maybe if you're in that situation, just Nehemiah's attitude of praying to God in it with an openness just can be so helpful to you too. There's another aspect I want to finish on. We have the problems, the three of them, seeking Nehemiah coming back as he does, seeking to put them right. His prayers as he does so. The scene is not... And they all lived happily ever after in Nehemiah 13. And I want to come to this. I call it pointers. 
in the first sermon we had on Nehemiah, which is a little while ago now, I did say at that point, Nehemiah isn't going to end well. And that's part of the lesson. That's where we are now. Nehemiah hasn't ended well. And that's part of the lesson. They don't live here in Jerusalem happily ever after, even though the wall was rebuilt and there's some endeavours to renew and dedicate. It's part of the point of the teaching. This is pretty well the last bit of Old Testament history we have. You might not realise that because of the way it's ordered and it's halfway through the Old Testament. Malachi is a prophet ministered probably just after this time or around this time, but this is the last bit of Old Testament history we have. And what note does, does it end on? Disappointment. Failure. Nehemiah doing his best, but it not really gaining traction. Seems like a bit of brutal force making people to tow the line, but no real heart change. Feels like, we say flogging a dead horse, and it's not a particularly nice illustration on either count, flogging or a dead horse, but we say flogging a dead horse, there seems to be no response. Perhaps we could say he's, he's turning the, the, the key in the ignition and, and it's not working, he's turning it harder and faster and aggressively, but there's a dead battery so it's never going to work. And I think as we come away from this last book of the Old Testament, away from Nehemiah, I think we can be pointed in this direction. We need someone better than Nehemiah. We need someone better than Nehemiah. And the Old Testament sort of ends waiting, needing, looking for a better era, a better king, a messiah. Somebody who would lead which it wouldn't be through perhaps the, the antics that Nehemiah is reduced to at the end where he is just so frustratedly, desperately trying to produce order in God's people. A king of righteousness, a lowly king who came in on the donkey, a servant king, an era where the spirit would be at work in New Covenant times and hearts would be changed and softened when people would be born again and they would have a new power to live for God with heart in their life. An era where Jesus would bring forgiveness and washing in people's hearts and their hearts would then be energised to love God and to love others. And we live in those better days. We springboard from Nehemiah to the New Testament and are thankful that Christ has come and that there is the New Covenant times and the Holy Spirit is at work. It points us. We can rejoice in that this morning. But even then, we still leave, live in, the, in between what sometimes we call the already and the not yet. The church still has its problems. Christians, we still have our battles. Baptisms don't lead to a happy ever after from that day onwards. And so I think we could also say this. I think we should be pointed, I think we should be pointed in this direction. We need a better second coming. 
We need a better second coming. Like Nehemiah, Jesus will come back again. He will return to his church. He will take us to be with himself. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There will be nothing that defiles. There will be no impurities. There will be no failures and frustrations and difficulties. All will be glorious after that day. That's why we sung how long and we were looking in the end, that last verse, lovely, powerful verse, looking for the coming of Christ. 1 John 3 and verses 2 to 3 puts it like this. Beloved, we are God's children now and what will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We'll be with Christ. We'll be like Christ. We'll be purified. No need for draconian Nehemiah tactics tactics to keep us in order. So, I think Nehemiah, the way it ends unhappily, helps us to see the glories of the coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And they all lived happily ever after, not in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time, not even now as Christians in our life of battle in this fallen world with its different difficulties and our failings, but for believers certainly in the future as Jesus comes again, a wonderful, true, well-grounded, happily ever after. And I think the book of Nehemiah can leave us looking forward to that day. Well, we've covered lots. There may have been something particular, one or two things that the Lord has used to be a special help to you. If we just have a, a, a half a minute to, to, to express that in prayer ourselves and then we'll have our last song. Well, let's sing a prayer for our renewing. Lord of the Church, we pray for our renewing. Christ over all, our undivided aim. Fire of the Spirit, burn for our enduring. Wind of the Spirit, fan the living flame.
Oh Lord, you know our failings, our frustrations, our mistakes. We pray for your help to put right what is out of line, to go forward seeking to serve you, to be a blessing to others. Where there is disappointment and difficulty, help us to pray in an open-hearted way to you, knowing that your eyes are on the situation. We thank you most of all for Jesus. Through him we have forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is work in our lives if we're believers. We thank you for the wonderful prospect of that second coming of Jesus. And we pray that our hopes will be especially fastened on that day when we will be with him forever. We pray these things in his name. Amen.